With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup, oh, blocked by James! LeBron James with the rejection! Welcome to the Chase Down on Almighty Baller Radio, part of Dash Radio. I'm Justin Rowan uh, with a special guest today. There is no Carter Rodriguez, so this this show's already starting off on the right foot. Uh, but we have Harsh DeVave uh, from Raptors Twitter, uh, Raptors HQ. How are you doing today, Harsh? Uh, better than I was yesterday. I think time, <laughs> time heals a lot of wounds, I think. I feel like you're the LeBron James of Raptors Twitter. Are you comfortable with that title? Absolutely not, man. With Blake and Will around, I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm more like the Kyle Lowry of LeBron of Raptors Twitter. <laughs> well, you're showing up, so that certainly helps. Um, oh, oh, wow, <laughs> man, that's the, the Lowry thing's so depressing. It, it it honestly is, especially because it's not like Lowry's a guy that you ever really want to root against. He he hasn't really done a lot of things in his career that make him a villain in the basketball landscape. And with being 31 years old, contract pending, this is just basically the worst time for him to, one, have that surgery on his wrist prior to playoffs and then struggle a little bit. I thought he played pretty well against the Bucks, but he wasn't Kyle Lowry. And then to have this ankle injury against the Cavs, um, what are your thoughts on Lowry right now? Yeah, it's... Uh... I thought this during the uh, Milwaukee series as well that it's just it's just a really rough time to talk about Kyle Lowry because I think no matter how much we try, recency bias uh, affects how we view him at this point in time. Like, you know, yeah, that's kind of inevitable. It is, and and I mean, this is a team that was always going to be judged by what they did in the playoffs, and that goes if we break that down to an individual level, that goes to Demar and Kyle as well about how they perform in playoff time. Um, so for him to have the type of showing he's had, it's a little rough because, you know, like DeMar was in the middle of a playoff, uh, a career year with the Raptors, so was Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry yeah. was having an amazing season, um, arguably the top point guard in the East for a long time there. Um, and ever since he's come back from his wrist injury, it just hasn't been the same. And I think up until last year, there's always been an excuse that you could find to to justify his performances. Like you could say he's worn down. He had to carry too much of a load while DeMar was out. He was injured. He was, you know, it was a bad matchup. Like all sorts of things right. can, can be used. But I felt like this time it, the excuses sort of ran out. And I feel I feel bad for him, man. I feel like he deserves better. Like if this is the way his Raptors tenure ends, like he deserves to be remembered as possibly the highest peak in, in Raptors history in terms of quality of play. Like that's who Kyle Lowry was. So, and it sucks. It sucks that, that we're not able to see that yet, but I'm hoping that in time, regardless of what happens with this free agency decision that, you know, we look back on him fondly and look back on his tenure fondly. It's tough. And like Lowry really was the best player for this team all year. Like as good as DeRozan's been, yeah. uh, Lowry was still the best player in my opinion by a fairly convincing margin. 
Uh, I do give DeRozan a lot of credit, especially for that stretch where Larry was out. I felt like he stepped up his game. But ultimately, the, the success of this team really does come down to Kyle Lowry. And it's funny, in games one and two of this series, uh, the LeBron plus bench lineup uh, wasn't effective, basically, for the first time we've seen in a long time. And I think that was partly to do with uh, going up against Lowry plus the bench, which is, has always been Toronto's most productive lineup. Um, and, and then you see in Game 3, without Lowry there to generate offense with that unit, it, it really fell apart, and the bench was what ended up deciding that game. Well, that that and LeBron, but LeBron's kind <laughs> of a constant. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's weird, man, because, again, the margin for error without Lowry for the Raptors is so small. Like, to, to even be in that game, to have that be a two-point game going into the fourth quarter... DeRozan basically just had to be nuclear from mid-range and that's just how like that's what you need to float and I think he did that plenty of times during that 20 game stretch when Lowry was out like he had those games against New York and Washington where it's like all right these are all horrible shots but they're going in so yeah we need those exactly and, and you need those and I think one of the things that's really become apparent is that the Raptors' secondary and tertiary options, not secondary so much, but tertiary options are just not reliable. Like, like you just can't... Um, like, teams are loading up to stop DeRozan and Lowry, and if Patterson, Damari Carroll, and, and guys like that aren't able to, to, you know, make their mark on games, like, it's really hard for the Raptors to win. And then it turns to Lowry and DeRozan forcing the issue, at least the turnovers, at least a bad transition defense. It's like it's it's just a whole host of problems that are introduced uh, because of the supporting cast, and it's just the nature of things, man. Like we're gonna at the end of the day, you look at the best players, and it becomes a referendum on the best players rather than the roster as a whole. But which is exhausting because it is. is. As much as one player can control a series and really take things over it is those secondary options and it is the role players that really do elevate you to the next level like when you look at the Cavs LeBron's going to get you into any series we saw that in 2015 like there was nothing left there was maybe four warm bodies for the Cavs outside of LeBron and he was able to drag it to six games but ultimately you need Kyrie you need love you need all these other guys to step up and I think if I told you before the series that Kyle uh, or Kyrie Irving was going to shoot 37 percent from the floor Kevin Love was going to be quiet with 15 16 points per game uh you'd feel pretty good about the Raptors chances through three games but um it really has been those secondary options both on both sides uh for the Raptors not stepping up not making the right plays and for the Cavs those role guys have stepped up and and really hit a lot of shots. And it's funny because when you look at Serge Ibaka, for example, the stat lines haven't been bad. Like, I I think he's hit shots at a better rate this series than he did against Milwaukee. Um, He's doing a lot of things well. But when DeRozan gets trapped automatically and, and passes to Ibaka at 18 feet, even though he's open, that's not necessarily the best look. Like, yeah. I feel too many of these guys are, are rushing shots and they're not able to get into their offense. And even if you hit shots, that's not building momentum or something that you can draw upon uh, for later in the game. Yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of the Raptors, um, you know, writers and, and columnists have pointed that out that those quick trigger uh, pick and pop Serge Ibaka long twos and threes, like those are going to be available at any point in the shot clock. 
mm-hmm. because essentially teams are going to be making the decision whether they want to double Lowry, how they want to defend that pick and roll, uh, or Lowry or DeRozan, I should say. And essentially that shot, whether it's like with three seconds left in the shot clock or 21, that shot will always be available. And it's just like, let's, like, we don't need to settle for that. We can work better offense and find a better shot, shot elsewhere because as, as capable as Serge Ibaka is of, of making that shot, he also tends to be very streaky, and yeah. you don't really know what you're going to get from game to game or quarter to quarter at times. So I would rather just you know work our offense a little bit better, do some different do some different things, maybe work the driving kick game a little bit more, like or work a pick and roll. Like I'm not sure what the exact solution is at this point, but I agree with you. Like those shots are they seem like good shots when they go in, but I just don't think the method is is correct in terms of the end result yeah i agree and and i think we saw some adjustments from casey that i I liked in game three as well um there there were fewer screens for DeRozan. they were letting him work kind of one-on-one more which really helped because it it limits the Cavs' ability to trap It, it limits their ability to bring that second guy and DeRozan was actually able to get some momentum going he was able to get to the line Getting J.R. Smith in foul trouble was obviously huge, uh, as he has done a good job on him. But before we move on completely from Kyle Lowry, what what is your opinion of this contract status? Like, do do you think they're going to need to give him the full five years in order to prevent him from leaving? Um, do, what do you think the market's really going to be like for him? Because as you said, uh, for most of the season, he he really has been the best point guard, at least in the conference, um, and on the other hand you have these issues you have durability that's a question he's 31 he's a shorter point guard there's so many things that go into the decision that it's really hard to get a read on what's going to happen yeah there's even been some cases where guys get wrist surgery and they don't really come back the same at any point i think darren williams was one of those guys i'm not entirely sure but well darren williams uh, the best point guard in in the east now yeah, I mean, he's an upgrade on Kyrie, so okay, <laughs> I'm kidding. I know you guys love Kyrie. I'm just joking. Um, but, yeah, no, with Lowry, like, I think um, it's it's really sad how this is going. Like, this really resembles the Chris Bosh situation where um, he gets hurt um, and we're teased about whether he's going to play the next game, almost every game, and then he ends up not playing and, bam, season's over and he leaves in free agency. And, you know, that there's, there's some similarities there. It's kind of scary to be honest but um that's depressing that's really depressing it is man like dude lowry might have played his last game as a raptor like that's the reality right now you know that's really sad um but in terms of what the raptors do i think masai is going to try to resign him i think masai's i think i think the raptors know that they go as kyle lowry goes and um yeah, it's it's going to be those last two, three years of that contract are going to be painful. But I just don't think there's any realistic route to contention for this team right now, and or even like quasi-contention without Lowry on the squad. Like DeRozan, right. you need DeRozan to go absolutely apeshit like he did last game in order to stay in games. Like that's just, it's not going to cut it. That's not a realistic route to success. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the Raptors are going to try to re-sign Lowry um, I'm not as convinced that I don't think it's a case like DeRozan last year where he's um, on the first day of free agency he's gonna pick up the call from Masai and sign within the first two hours I don't think it's gonna be one of those things I think he's gonna survey his options a little bit I actually think it's very similar to the Mike Conley situation right like in that he likes Toronto he's 
frustrated with the situation. He's been ornery with the media for about a month or two now. The coverage, well, I, also his whole career, but <laughs> more than usual. It, it actually, ha- yeah, I agree with you. He's been he's like that generally, but he's been even more so lately, just because of the fact that the coverage while he had his wrist injury was insufferable. People were writing about them needing to move on, whether they should let him walk, and then. The day he the, the the day the playoffs start after game one, there's like idiots bringing trade Kyle Lowry signs to the game and stuff like that. It's just it's just horrible behavior by the fan base and some of the it's, I, like there's no there's no specific members of media who, who I'm like saying this about, but just like the media was correct in their analysis, like they were playing well while he was out, but I also think like he's essential in terms of raising the ceiling of this team. And, and they um, also had traded for Ibaka and Tucker, which made a difference. And their schedule was also very light to close the year. Like there was more than one thing. Like correlation doesn't all always mean causation there. Yeah, no, that's a really good point too. Yeah, they they had two big pickups. Those guys made their debuts while he was out. Um, the schedule got a little bit lighter. And yeah, they managed to stay afloat. But I don't. But again, I think Larry's been a little bit frustrated with the situation. Um, I don't think it's a case where he's hell bent on returning. But I right. think ultimately, if they give him enough money, I think Toronto makes a lot of sense for him as a as a situation and a destination. And you even think about it on a personal level for him, like this is where he was able to leave all his previous demons behind, was able to become an all star. He has, you know, he has comfort here. The the franchise respects him. The fan base respects him. Uh, DeRozan is is one of his closest friends. Like I think that stuff will end up mattering at the end of the day. But I think again, it's like the Mike Conley situation where he's frustrated enough to survey the landscape, but ultimately the money and the length of the contract should be more than enough to keep him around. Right. Uh, I think you're right, and it, the last point there I think is important because he's had trouble in the past, and it's something he's talked about fairly openly in in recent years. Uh, developing trust and, and really becoming comfortable in a situation. And um, I, I think when there isn't a lot of other options uh, for contention, like I, I think Toronto is probably one of the best teams that he'll be able to sign on. Uh, maybe the Spurs try to lure him away if they're not able to get Chris Paul. Um, but outside of that, there, I don't think there's a lot of options where you're guaranteed winning. And when you have comfort, it's a place you enjoy playing. Uh, as you mentioned, DeRozan, he's very close with. Um, that I think that does become very attractive. But it, it really is tough for Toronto because you, Kyle Lowry isn't the only free agent that they have. You yeah. have Serge Ibaka, you have Patrick Patterson, you have P.J. Tucker. And in a lot of ways, I don't think if you let Lowry walk or if he decided to walk, I think it all becomes a lot more difficult to sign a Baca. Like, I don't think you can just say, okay, we're going to bring back the same team sans Kyle Lowry. I think no matter what they do, they're ultimately going to take a little bit of a step back as a team just because there are so many decisions. You'd have to remove some of the guys that you have there just to bring back your free agents. Like, I think Valanchunas might have to go. Damari Carroll, I could see them trying to shop him. Even Corey Joseph. I mean, if you're if you're bringing back Kyle Lowry and you're a believer in DeLon Wright, uh, having Joseph's salary there uh, when this team's going to start getting expensive in a hurry uh, isn't the most productive thing or at least isn't the best allocation of your resources. Yeah, no, totally. And, I, and I'm actually like 100% on board with what you're saying. Like, I think the, to me, the, the most obvious decision is um, 
bringing rid back of Jonas. Lowry and sorry, <laughs> getting rid of Jonas. <laughs> oh God, yeah, no, but um, I think the obvious decision is bringing back Lowry and Ibaka if you can, uh, and making that the the core that you're paying a lot of money to, and then moving Jonas, Corey, and uh, and Carol if possible, and uh, bringing back potentially one of Ibaka. I mean Tucker or Patterson. Like to me, that's like an ideal off season in terms of personnel moves okay um it's it's tough though man like i think you're definitely locking yourself into uh, it's not mediocrity it's but you know just a level below contention yeah you're locking yourself into tier two let's call it that for sure yeah and and unless like there's like some unprecedented development like Jakob pertle turns into draymond green or something like that like which which isn't happening anytime soon but you know the white hakeem exactly yeah i mean it's not it's not impossible i'm kidding i'm kidding um i just think like it's i think a lot of people look at this from a strictly basketball perspective and i get that like we look at on-court results and that's what matters i think there's a there's market dynamics that affect this team as well like for a team that's clearly the third on the third peg in toronto yeah like with maple leafs and the and the blue jays i'm sure there's a ton of blue jays fans in winnipeg as well um for the Raptors to maintain some level of respectability and, and to keep the momentum going in terms of their fan base expanding, it's 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 tough to say bye, man. It's tough to just break this apart and start all over again. I think they've done a lot of valuable work. That a lot of the fan base has been reawakened. People have started to feel passionate about this team again. Like, I don't know how as a as a team that has to fight and claw to to gain some respect in in this market i don't know how you say say goodbye to all that yeah it really is tough and one of not to pile on but one of the more depressing aspects of this as at least from an outside perspective is one of the biggest things toronto's trying to do is gain that respectability not only within their own market but within the league and and we've seen them in recent years be in the running for free agents that wouldn't have even taken a meeting in the past. And they probably dodged a bullet not getting LaMarcus Aldridge. But at the same time, like if they had a more respectable series against the Cavs, like if this was close games, even if it went like four or five very close games, I think then you become a more attractive market. But the way that they lose with LeBron really clowning on this team and, and um, just no real close margins of uh, victory here. Like, I-, I think it becomes even more difficult. The gap between these teams so- seems so dramatic, and it's tougher for them to really kind of get the validation that maybe they deserve, uh, at least in comparison to what they're receiving now. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's why you see so many people become disillusioned with what's been happening. That's why you see, like, Jurassic Park is a little bit emptier or, you know, viewership numbers aren't as high as they used to be. Like people, I know casual fans, like some of my fans, some of my friends who um, decide not to tune into game three or game four because it's like, what's the point? We're losing by 20 every game. You know what I mean? Like I can, and I understand that. Like not everybody is a fanatic like like some of us who will watch every game regardless. Right. Um, and, I, and I totally understand that. And I think like something has to give, like something has to change. Like at this point we're looking at Four years of this roller coaster, four years of them not looking particularly good in the playoffs, like something has to change. But I just think the easiest thing to change is maybe the message changes in the locker room. You know, like maybe you bring in somebody with fresh ideas. Like, and, I'm, and 
it sucks because I like Dwayne Casey and I think he's a he's a he's been really helpful for the franchise to get them to this point. He's done a really good job of of being able to re- like his message resonates with the players and he uh, he's gotten DeRozan and Lowry to maximize themselves. I think that's a big deal. But yeah. I just think something has to change and it's a lot easier to say, you know what, let's just run it back and try it again with a different coach than to say, you know, we're going to change the core of this franchise and see what impact it has. I feel like that's a really big decision to make, whereas coach is also a big decision, but it shouldn't affect the on-court results as much negatively, I would think, if the core remains the same. Yeah, I I agree. And I've said this before, but I think Dwayne Casey is one of the biggest reasons why they overachieved in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you start to look at the deficiencies that he has, that he does forget about guys in the rotation, the the adjustments seem slow. Um, And he's also a coach that really does rely heavily on motivation. And when you see so many Raptors players take a step back defensively and and not look as engaged this season, um, I, I mean, in the past, I've always made jokes about them kind of being the try-hard team but that effort wasn't always consistently there and it really took that fresh blood to excite them again um it, it feels like that motivation's lacking and a new voice might end up benefiting them in the long run um so it, it really isn't a tough decision or it isn't a easy decision because there's no real guarantee that you're going to get a better coach than casey like he yeah. has done a good job overall um, but just changing up the message, as you said, I, I think it can go a long way. Um, if you were rebuilding, I'd almost be tempted to keep him around because because of the growth you've seen from Lowry, DeRozan, and, and all the players there. They, they really have done a good job as an organization developing talent. And if you're going the youth direction, I, that that would be something you'd want to keep. But if you are running it back, I'm with you. Maybe a new voice will benefit the team um maybe you bring in stackhouse who at the very least will end up brawling with the player if they come <laughs> off with no energy so um yeah. if you're Masai and yep. you have full reins of this team what are you going to be doing this summer what what would be an ideal summer in terms of realistic targets player retention and direction for the team yeah, I I have I have yet to crush I mean, crunch the cap numbers completely, but again, like I said, you bring back Serge and Kyle, uh, you keep DeRozan. I think you replace the head coach. I think I think you know, and I, and it hurts to say this, man. Like Dwayne Casey's been one of us for a long time now, for like seven years. Um, we we've, we've seen a lot of growth within the team during his watch, so um, it's not an easy decision, like you said. But I think it's I think it's coming to that time. Um, you replace the head coach. Um, you trade JV. Look, I think. All right, what are you getting for JV? This this honestly, is something I I'm think, very curious about. Honestly, at this point, I think it's pretty much a salary dump, and I think like even that is going to be hard to find. Like, why does why would the Philadelphia 76ers want JV, or why would the Brooklyn Nets want JV? Like, it's hard. It's hard to find teams that are even willing to accept them on a salary dump. Maybe it's one of those cases where. You have to pair him. You have to you have to pair him with a sweetener like Corey Joseph to get something back. You know, like maybe it's one of those things. Um, I don't really know, but I think look, the Raptors have enough uh, replacements ready for like for JV. I think Jakob Pertl is ready. Like I straight up think he's ready now. I, um, I agree. I I'm I'm very high on Pertl. I he 
even just from a basketball IQ standpoint, he, he seems further along than Jonas is. Like he he does. He's he's very smart. He he makes a he makes generally makes the right decision on on short rolls and and in the pick and roll. He's he's quite feisty on the glass. Uh, he's good defensively. That's what I really like about him. He's mobile, and I think he gives them a different look while also being you know I think he has a highish ceiling on offense to be like a an efficient producer. Um, so I think that I think moving on from JV, you try to do that. You try to move on from Carroll. I'm. I feel like teams. I I still think Carroll has value. Like I think, I, I think, think so too. I think some team would take a chance on him. Right. Like, t- uh, and I'm I'm just throwing this out there. Like, take the Pelicans. You're telling me the Pelicans wouldn't want a guy like Damari Carroll, like in place of like I don't know Dante Cunningham or whoever they're running out there right <laughs> now, like Etwan Moore or whatever. I, I don't know who they're even playing. But the, the point is, I think some teams will talk themselves into a theoretical three and D guy. Um, because and it's hard to it, find. Like everyone's like, "Oh, just trade so and so for a three and D player." There aren't legitimate three and D players available. They're like, "There's not many in the league." Forget available. Yeah. So I think teams would take a chance. I think you're right there. Yeah, and I think, and you know, <laughs> there's an argument to be had about whether he is a three and D player anymore. But <laughs> but um, I think I think at least in terms of past production, he has been there in the past. So. Some teams would talk themselves into it if they could get him for on the cheap, right? And he only has um, one year left on his deal, right? Like next year I think would he be. He has two. I think he has two next year and then one more year after. He signed that. a five-year deal. Four year. Well, he, so this, this is his this third is year second. with the Raptors, right? I think it's a second. It's a second year. Oh God, it feels yeah. like so long. It does. It's been a <laughs> it's been a long and bumpy ride, man. It's it's not been great. And then I think you also try to move on from Corey Joseph. Like that moves a lot of salary. Um, because I think DeLon Wright and Fred Van Vliet are both ready. So wait, like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. DeLon, DeLon, I can get behind, but Van Vliet, you really think that's like a thing? I think he's a capable third point guard. I don't think he's a backup yet, but I think if if you had to use him, say DeLon got hurt for like 15 games and you had to ride with Fred Van Vliet, I think you'd be all right. Man. I think he's pretty decent. He's, he's decent. so like, tiny, man. <laughs> he's really tiny. But I think like he he tries hard enough on defense, and he's smart enough in terms of navigating pick and rolls and hitting open jumpers that I think he could survive. Like I, I'm I'm not saying he's a he's a world beater by any means, but I think you can you can stay afloat with Fred VanVleet as a backup. Yeah, I always felt like he'd give you a good two three minutes, and if he played more than that, all of a sudden the other team like would figure out what he's doing but that's probably true but i think in the regular season teams are teams don't really care no they don't they they don't scout they (laughs) there's not a whole lot of uh yeah your team is a good case in point for that man (laughs) that is uh yeah (laughs) that's painfully true yeah i think you trade those three guys um i'm not sure exactly what you get i'm hoping that they can draft somebody who who can be an immediate contributor off the bench like maybe like a semi ojale um, one of those guys, like, I, I, like I'm always, I, I would love it if they would take a chance on somebody like Harry Giles from Duke. But mm-hmm. um, if they're looking for immediate contributors, there are other guys out there, like maybe Jerron Blossom game, guys like that. Now and is, then, Bru- is Bruno years, stepping up next year? I think like, he might need one more year, but I think <laughs> Bruno is close. I think he's close. Man, That's I think just... he can be like a stretch four. <laughs> I think he can. I think he can do it. It's funny been, because he doesn't have bad mechanics on his jumper. It's just like... The numbers are bad. It, are they? 
I think he's shooting like 31% from three this year uh, in the D league. But here's the thing. I think, um, uh, Blake Murphy from Raptors Republic has done a lot of good work reporting on the D league and Bruno is ready defensively. Like he's there. He's already good enough. He can already make a difference defensively. And with his jump shot, I think like he's still working, he's working his way into understanding his limitations offensively. Um, but once he starts taking better shots, his percentages should go up. I think he's, I think he's going to be a contributor down the line. I still believe. Got to believe in the Bruno. <laughs> hey man, I I'm you can't you can't ignore that eight foot wingspan or whatever the hell it is. It it, it his measurements truly are ridiculous. <laughs> Listen, I've had the chance to watch him like basically courtside at the D League because D League media is like right next to the court. Okay, it is. First of all, Eddie Tavares is just gigantic. He's probably the biggest person I've ever seen in my life. Sing sing Eddie's praises because we we don't have a lot of young guys to get really excited about. Like it, it's basically Kyrie. Well, Tristan's yeah. young too, but I mean Kyrie's basically the same age as Delon Wright, so yeah. um, he, he's still on the upswing. But Eddie Tavares and uh, Chetty Osman. I'm yeah, you guys gonna, are all about Chetty Osman, man. I'm very about Chetty. Uh, I'm yeah. finally deciding to say his name properly. Um, I, I was always saying Seti, but I've heard enough people now tell me that it's Chetty that I'm going to have to do it properly. Well, he's coming He's coming next year, so you're going to have to learn. He's, you're going to have to learn. It's true. Um, yeah, Eddie Tavares. Eddie Tavares, man. I think he's like seven foot three. He's absolutely massive. He's way more mobile than you'd think. Like, uh, one of the biggest problems he had was just the fact that he used to be just a large lump of a human being and he wouldn't be able to, he was kind of like JV in the sense like he was lumbering and wouldn't be, wasn't very agile and wasn't, wouldn't move well laterally, laterally. But I think he's developed enough in the sense that he understands spacing a lot. Like think, think Marcus Gasol. Marcus Gasol isn't particularly quick, but he understands like the, the limits of his wingspan and, and how he can affect shots well enough that he gets to the right spot in time. Um, and he's that type of an, of a, of a disruptor of shots. Like I think you saw in that last game against the Raptors, uh, of the regular season where he came in and I think he had like seven blocks. Was it seven? Yeah. It was like six or seven blocks. It was crazy. Yeah, it was six blocks in like 20 minutes or something like that. And <laughs> that's the type of, that's the type of shot blocker he is, man. He can get his, he can get his hands on absolutely anything. Um, he knows his limits. He knows his limits offensively. I think he's still coming around. Um, he still needs some work on the offensive end of the court. He can't really do much besides uh, finish on offensive rebounds and lobs and stuff like that. But again, for a guy that you guys are taking a complete flyer on and you can invest some time into, I think he's shown enough that it's worth it's worth hanging on to. Like I think he he has a chance to be like a bench contributor. I definitely think he can be like a baby Noguera type. That 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 would be fun because, as I said, there's there's not a lot of ways that the Cavs can really improve their roster, um, just with the salary cap restraints. But hitting a couple home runs on these guys w- would make a huge, huge difference. Now, who had the better Raptors career, Jonas or Bargnani? Assuming Jonas comes oh, to a close this year. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm sorry to what? hurt you with that one, but I need oh. to know. Because that was a sick thought that popped in my head the other come day. Come on, man. I think, again, recency bias is affecting our frustrations with Jonas, but 
let's not forget how that Bargnani era ended. Bargnani averaged 20 points per game for one year with you guys, didn't matter. he? I, I hated every <laughs> bit of that year. I hated every second of that year. Oh, man. The Bargnani era is, again, but the fact that we're even having this conversation is not a great look for me, for be honest. <laughs> It, it really isn't. I remember yeah. when Bargnani would miss a shot and immediately look over to expect Rasho Nesterich to come onto the court. <laughs> oh, man. Bargnani. Bargnani was... The fact that he was allowed to lead a team and average 20 points a game is <laughs> like... That That tells you all you need to know about the mid-2000s Raptors. Man, those those were dark days. and I, Those are horrible days. I, I, I don't think... No matter what happens this summer, I don't think the Raptors would go into that level of despair because you guys do have good depth and there's there's potential there. Um, I don't think there's any way that they would move on from DeRozan. There's a lot of I, I've seen a few people kind of bring that up, um, but I, I think what DeRozan represents, uh, the loyalty he's shown to the franchise, the, the first All Star really that you guys have retained since the second year or his second contract. Um, I, I think that means a lot for the franchise and how you treat players impacts free agency. And, and I think that's something people forget. They they like to think of it strictly from a basketball and X's and O's standpoint. But um, DeRozan, I, I think he's a respected player around the league. Um, you see guys appreciate what he's able to do. And uh, he is still on his way up and he has been improving. So I, I don't think there's any way that you can move on from him. No, I don't think so either. And, you know, again, not you, you make a really good point about I think loyalty in sports is is generally overrated. It's like a talking point for fans. Um, it's mostly think, whack. Like, it's, it's whack as hell, man. But I think like in some cases that actually shines through. And I think DeRozan is one of those cases where um, like let's like let's be honest. like He didn't take much of a discount to come back to the Raptors. But no, you know, no he, he really didn't. No, he, he took a little bit of a discount, but I still think that that should be commended. Um, and in general, I think he's always carried himself with like um, respect towards the fans, respect towards the organization. And I think him and Masai are on the same page. I think stuff like that really matters, man. I think you like having a guy like DeRozan, who, like you said, is respected around the league to to carry the message forward about the Raptors and, and even in, even from a marketability standpoint, like having a guy who can be the face of the franchise, like if Larry was to walk, like this is DeRozan's franchise completely at that point, like having somebody to, to build your team around and somebody to put up as the face of the franchise, I think that stuff is important, especially for a team like the Raptors who like, again, like I'm saying they need all the help they can get in terms of making, finding their footing in this market. Um, you can't undersell that. You can't undersell the importance of DeMar DeRozan. And, and yeah, I get it. I get he has limitations. I get that he can't really play off ball. I understand all of that. But it's not like he's a complete black hole at this point. Like he's a No, no, he has grown player. as a passer this year. It, it might, I think the only or the most valid frustration with DeRozan would be his, his defense. Like, yeah, and that's fair. That's fair. Um, I, think, I, I think his defensive uh, limitations are definitely fair. He's really really frustrating to watch at times but I'm, I'm still willing to live with it just because of the load that he carries and I don't think his defensive instincts are great either like you watch I, I feel like people made the James Harden conversation a lot about how bad James Harden is on defense I just think James Harden doesn't didn't care for a long time Every yeah, time yeah I he, he him, can play defense like he's he not Russell play, Westbrook bad yeah, no, he can <laughs> he can be up man I've, I've seen quite a few instances of him against the Raptors where he'll like 
he'll shock you with the stuff that he can do. Well, when, when he was in OKC, he was it. a defensive guy. Like, that was the thing, right? He, he was yeah. their stopper. Yeah, he was a two-way guy. And I think, uh, again, James Harden just doesn't care at times, but I think he can be up. I think DeRozan is different in that I think his instincts are bad. And that sucks, but <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. And, like, DeRozan, DeRozan is so frustrating because he's pretty much maximized everything he can, he can do with the skill set he has. But, like, he needs a crutch in terms of he needs a defensive guy next to him who can cover the best defense, uh, offensive option for the other team. And you need floor spacers and a guy who can play off ball at point. Right? Otherwise, it's very hard. To, those, everything is cramped. Spacing is horrible. Like, that's why him and Corey Joseph never really mesh. Um, and that's why – and that's, that's the other thing about Lowry, man. And I think that's the thing about Kyrie and Love as well that people – don't give them credit for it. Playing, being an all-star and being so good at playing off ball, that stuff is underrated, man. Not yeah, many it makes guys a big difference. Not many guys can do that. And those, those three guys can definitely do it. And I think that's a, that's a big deal. It, this series really has kind of highlighted uh, the struggles that DeRozan does have defensively, though, because against the Bucks, you can get away with it to some extent. Like, to, yeah, Tony Stell burns you. But... When Damari Carroll can't defend LeBron, which was one of the things he was brought in to do, uh, when Norman Powell can't defend LeBron, but they're they're still trying on him. Having Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith run around wide open and and not really have to work to get these wide open three point shots, really really has burnt them because they're shooting a crazy percentage on wide open three point shots. And part of that is that they're, they're not having to run through screens. They're not really working off ball. Um, they're just, the versatility has improved for the Raptors, but I still feel like there's so many instances where they need someone to hide on. Like when, when you come up against this level of competition, it's okay. Where can we hide Jonas? Where can we hide DeRozan? And that's just not something that you can really get away with it. At this point of the playoffs, yeah, and I totally agree with you. Like having, and I think some of those guys are, it, 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 it's they get hurt on both ends, you know. Like I think one, they get hurt on the defensive end because they're hiding guys like Jonas. I remember that there was that one playing game too where Kyrie Irving was trying to take PJ Tucker off the bounce, and uh, PJ Tucker stayed with them the whole time. The shot clock went down to like three, and for some reason, Jonas decided to start helping on Kyrie. And just left Fry <laughs> wide open in the corner, and Fry hit the shot, obviously. And PJ Tucker was like visibly upset, like, "Dude, what are you doing? Like, I was right there, like we were almost got that play done." I think that's like a microcosm of people's frustrations with Jonas Valanciunas, and Demar's the same way defensively. So you have that on one end, and then on the offensive end, you have the ability for teams like the Cavs and the Bucks to absolutely ignore. Patrick Patterson or absolutely ignore Damari Carroll and PJ Tucker and you can just be like you know what if you guys are going to hit like six threes against us that's fine we're willing to live with that right and they just never get burned they just never get burned for it so on the defensive end there are certain guys that are hurting you on the offensive end it's the complete opposite they have very few players that are productive and efficient on both ends of the court that can uh, make a difference like Ibaka is one of them Lowry's one of them Norman Powell can be one of them but besides that it's like it's slim pickings man before we wrap this up I'm going to rapid fire a few teams and I want you to tell me where you see them next year 
or at least where you see them in relation to the Raptors. Okay. Let's go. Let's go with the Bucks. Uh, better. I think they'll be better. You think they'll be better than the Raptors? Wait, let me think. Yeah, I think I want to say they'll be better. Because the the Bucks long term scare me as a Cavs fan. Like I, that, I feel like that's going to be the team that eventually ends up beating LeBron. I, I know the Boston Celtics, who who we'll touch on next, um, okay. feel like they're going to be the ones. But the Bucks, man, they they just they have so many things that make life a living hell for teams. And I just yeah. think once they get a little more experience, once they, these players get a little bit better, and obviously the health of Jabari Parker is a big factor, but, man, that, that's going to be a good team. Where, where do you think the Celtics will be? Okay, I, I think I'm, I'm going back on the Bucks. I don't think they have enough depth yet. I think they're, no, they, they're, yeah, still, relying, they're still relying on, like, Tony Snell. Well, Tony Snell's fine, but I don't know. I, <laughs> you want him much... off the bench. You want him off the bench, ideally. Yeah, and, like, Thon, uh, is Thon Maker really, like, a going to be a difference maker in year two like i don't know yet like i'll, I'll say the raptors will be better for another year okay so celtics god god damn celtics because I'm, I'm not saying the celtics are better than the raptors this year i know they might uh i don't even know if they're going to get by washington but uh i think the celtics will be better there's enough there for them to be better what about washington damn <laughs> i think washington's gonna be worse yeah, I I think I'm with you. I I think this was kind of a uh, a ceiling year for the Wizards. Those guys still hate each other, man. <laughs> That's kind of a factor. Yeah, like like this this stuff is just like like hide like sweeping the issues they have under the rug. The fact that Beal and Wall don't like each other, I feel like that's kind of important. Man, and I'm going to just go out on a limb and assume that you think the Cavs are going to be better. Listen, no one is stopping the Cavs, man. I'm honestly, this sounds like I'm jinxing you guys. I'm really not trying to, but I, I was talking with a friend about this. Like, I don't think the I think the Warriors are definitely favorites, but I'm starting to see a path for the Cavs to win now. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm starting to see it a little bit, and I think that's that's all you can ask for, man. Like, oh, for sure. Like, I I think they have a better chance than they did last year. And I've said this a million times. I think um, last year they really needed all those breaks. But there still feels like there's a little bit of a 2011 Miami thing going on with the Warriors. Like, it does take time for these stars to learn how to play together. Like, it took time for the Cavs. It's not easy when you have these roles changing. And um, obviously, getting Kevin Durant was the right move. But at the same time, like, they, they don't have as many shooters. Like, you can start to do more things against the Warrior Stars because they don't have the same uh, role players. They don't have three-point shooters uh, from 1 through 12 anymore. Like, they can start to... The Cavs can do the same overloading and uh, directing shots to different guys that uh, they, they do against other teams. For sure. And I think, like, even you look at offensively right now lebron has more weapons than he's had at any point in his Cavs career yet it's crazy (laughs) like you know like any given night there's like fry or maybe fry won't have as much of an impact in that warrior series but um you have fry you have corver jr smith Kyrie, and love like that's an insane number of guys who can hit shots even richard jefferson can shoot like richard jefferson isn't even playing right now and he's like just waiting on the bench ready to be unleashed you know what i mean like (laughs) 
Um, there's the and then Tristan Thompson is is goddamn amazing, man. He he he's, really would be the perfect center for this Raptors team. He's I feel like he's so underrated. Like he does so much for the Cavs. Like he covers up so much of their flaws. Like having a guy like that um, clean up in terms of like the Raptors had almost no offensive rebounds. He's such a he's he's so seamless in terms of switching on defense. He's um, he can do a decent job defending the paint. Like he's he's a perfect perfect player to play for this Cavs team because he again he helps you cover a lot of the flaws that some of the defenders have. And again, LeBron right now. Does LeBron look better right now than he did last year at this point? Man, he's looked better this year than he has he's maybe looked, the past three or four years. Like, it's he's crazy. He's looked amazing. He's looked like he went back to being, like, peak LeBron. Like, it's really weird. This, uh, he almost looks better than he did his last year in Miami. He looks, he looks amazing. He looks completely rejuvenated. And his shot is back. Like, his shot looks lethal as hell. Like, he's, t- he's draining pull-ups without a problem. I don't think he's uh, ever looked this like confident and comfortable too. Like I, I feel like he really is kind of playing with no fucks to give. And I think people have finally like people have definitely have just accepted that. Yeah, LeBron is the best player in the world, and he is the difference maker. Like I think at this point last year, people were still on that uh, Steph Curry uh, side of things, and that's understandable. Steph Curry had an amazing year, but I think given what happened in the finals, people are finally accepting the fact that, yeah, LeBron is the ultimate trump card they have. Like he is... People have bought into the switch. <laughs> Dude, that <laughs> switch is very real, man. <laughs> like I, The Cavs I legitimately might be an eight seed next year w- with their ability to turn it on and off. Why not? Like if they, why would they not? Need, why don't they just get the eighth seed and just beat the beat the Celtics? Like right? Yeah, away? because Boston, you know, would just be so happy to get that one seed again. Yeah, they'll be trying their asses off, like <laughs> like just like making like fifteen point comebacks in like two minutes, like in like game sixty four of the regular season. Like, what are you doing? Just let the shit go. Forget the one seed. Cavs tank the whole season. LeBron rest like 25 games and still beat the beat the Celtics in four you know what I'm, I'm rooting for that I'm rooting for you guys to do that ah uh, the my only fear with the Celtics is injury other than that it it, it should be four or five games tops look Kelly Olenek he's coming after LeBron's ACL man <laughs> he's taking that ACL home with him like I really don't even want you joking about that <laughs> Yeah, that wound is still really fresh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but, you know, it, I'm I'm just letting you know, man, keep your eyes peeled. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on, man, really do appreciate you coming on, and um, basically saying good things about Tristan Thompson will, will get you future appearances, so... Uh, <laughs> uh, noted, noted for... I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sorry that uh, your se- season had to end this way, Um well, I'm not that sorry, but maybe the fashion that it ended is a little depressing. Um, just because I really did feel like coming in that this was basically going to be the conference finals. Because um, for anyone that knows me, I'm I'm not very sold on Washington and Boston. And I, I, I really felt like that Toronto had the weapons to make the Cavs work on both ends. And that just uh, that never really came to fruition this year. Switch is real, man. The switch is real. I'm never trusting you guys ever again. I'm never going to trust the Cavs being bad or looking bad at any point. Until they prove me otherwise, I'm going to assume they're going to win. Man, poor 538. They they just take so many L's by <laughs> really taking stock in what the Cavs do in the regular season. 
Yeah, I feel like a, like this. The Cavs break so many statistical models just because they give so few fucks. It's impre- It's really incredible. <laughs> right, well, now now these statistical models got to add a new variable: fucks given during regular season. <laughs> I don't know how you account for that, but it's uh, it's the next frontier in statistics. So thanks again <laughs> for uh, coming on uh, to all our listeners. Uh, we appreciate uh, you guys listening. The feedback. Remember that you can subscribe to us on. Uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, basically anywhere that you you find podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. Uh, but we appreciate all the support. And uh, until next time, go Cavs. <laughs> <laughs>